Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. This podcast is brought to you by Enam Berlin, the innovation network for advanced materials, bringing together the brightest minds in material science. Visit us at enam.berlin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to season two of Startup the Science. We're back, and we're really excited to be here, and we've got a very exciting lineup of startups for you this season. And before I forget, Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2020. That's exciting. Anyway, so season one was sort of an experiment really on our part because we'd never done a podcast before and it's an extremely niche topic, advanced materials, what's that? But it turns out that more people are interested in this niche little topic of ours than we expected. We heard you, we got your emails. Thank you for asking when and if season two was ever going to come into existence. Season two is here now and we're very excited. We just got a little busy towards the end of 2019 so we had to sort of stop it for a little while but we never forgot about the podcast. We always had it in the back of our minds and we actually pre-recorded a bunch of episodes from this season last year in 2019. So we're really excited to be able to bring them to you now. We've been sort of sitting on them for all this time and we finally get to put it out in the universe. Now, a lot of these pre-recorded episodes are from our Advanced Materials competition, AdmaCom. And if you don't know what that is, I'll give you a little brief explanation. There's more explanation about it in the first season, and I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more about it in this season. But AdmaCom is a two-week accelerator program that we put on every year through Enum. We bring about 10 startups from all over the world to Berlin. This year we had 11 startups. And basically, we just accelerate their ideas, their technology, their businesses, and we give them the tools in order to do that. We give them the network of people, and uh, we give workshops and trainings. And at the end of it all, there's an exciting big demo day where people win prizes. And it's a great way for them to show off what they've learned in the past two weeks that they were with us. And the 2019 group of startups were just, wow, they were excellent. They were amazing. And we're so excited to have a couple of them on our podcast this season. Beginning with, drumroll please, Nanopattern Technologies represented by Yukambe. Now, Nanopattern Technologies is a company from Chicago and they are enabling advanced quantum dot display manufacturing. I'm not going to explain more than that because you does a very good job and I'm quite not capable of doing so myself. So I'm going to leave that to him. <laughs> I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. So here it is. Hey, you. Christina-san, yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Yoroshiku. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. It's a sincere honor to be here. Thank you so much oh for being here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Yeah, so my name is Yu Kanbe, CEO and co-founder of Nanopattern Technologies. And did you know that your display could last way longer than it can right now? 
Well, we, we heard, we heard before, I think maybe because you told us many, many times. <laughs> You've heard this pitch way too many times. <laughs> <laughs> we have, but uh, for our listeners, what are we talking about? What is the problem that your company is solving? So this is a, one of the simplest surveys you can ever do. Who has a smartphone? Everybody. Literally everybody. I'm looking right? at it right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> at least and one. Okay. That's right. And when you actually look around, right, if you take a photo without looking in the city, you're going to find at least like three or four display devices on a single photo, right? So they're everywhere. But at the same time, they are not very energy efficient. So when we say display, it's any kind of screen, right? Yeah, Just for right. the, the window, non-display. The window to the digital world, per right. se. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the same time, every night you plug in your phone, right? And maybe every time you walk past the screen, you can actually feel the heat coming off of it. There's another interesting kind of study, you know, experiment you can do. You can uh, turn off all the lights in your house during the nighttime and just turn your LCD, like your big screen TV to like just a black screen and it will still illuminate your, your house because it's not actually black, Right? There's a massive white light in the background that's continuing to go even when it's a black screen. So it's not very energy efficient. Uh, what we're doing here at Nanopattern Technologies is we are manufacturing an ink, which we sell to the display makers, and they can make the displays 70% more energy efficient while simultaneously improving the overall color experience by 50%. Wow, that sounds like a miracle ink. It does, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know what the secret material is? I would love to know what the secret material Quantum is. Quantum dots. <laughs> and this kind of brings everything into full circle with everything you've done in Series 1 as well. Um, you know, a lot of nanomaterials and quantum dot materials in that. That's right. And um, so in Season 1, we actually had someone else talk about quantum dots. Kim, who you've actually met. Right. Um, but just for our listeners who maybe have not listen to that episode. Can you briefly explain what quantum dots are? Yeah. So quantum dots are semiconducting nanoparticles. So, you know, in the world you have, you know, a lot of different kind of materials, right? The world's made out of materials. You're made out of materials. I'm made out of materials. But um, you have conducting materials, right? Conductors like, let's say, gold or silver or metals, right? Um, like uh, iron. But then you have insulators like SiO2 sand, right? It doesn't conduct uh, electricity very well. But then you have Eh, conductors or semiconductors. And those are actually really critical. Like it has really enabled the digitization of the whole entire world, right? So transistors need semiconductors. And it turns out that these materials can then, if you pick atoms together and just mush them into a tiny ball, a nanoscale ball with maybe, you know, 30 or 50 of these nanoparticles, they start to do really, really weird things. In particular, let's say you can actually shine it with like blue light and if it absorbs it, and it re-emits at red or green. And you can control those parameters by just changing the particle size of these nanoparticles. And quantum dots are great because, you know, typically the world has seen color filters, right? Color filters, you know, they block out everything except for the color you want. These are color converters, so they can absorb different wavelengths and re-emit. So that means you don't lose all of the, the block light everything gets re-emitted at a different wavelength. And so that's what is in our screens, in our phones, in our TVs. Yeah, so if you go to any electronics store, right, you'll start to actually see these things called QLEDs everywhere. And these are the first generation of displays to be introduced with quantum dots inside. Actually, Sony was the first to do it in the very beginning. But right now, nothing in the second generation has been commercialized yet. But companies are starting to release next generation announcements saying that the next LCDs and things like that are going to have the color filters 
replaced by quantum dot color converters. And by going from a filter to a converter, we now can triple the energy efficiency if we wanted to. And does it also improve the image quality you mentioned apart That's from right. the- That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's nice, right? Because it's more energy efficient, but at the same time, you get a better experience out of it. That's you know, by definition, a win-win. That sounds pretty good. And so I would imagine there are lots of large companies working on it. We know two startups now. I'm sure there are many others, maybe also a lot of research groups. What makes you guys special? Yeah, so the reason why we are special is because we are not actually focusing on the quantum dot as much in our core technology. Our core technology focuses on something called ligands. And ligands are the kind of the, the coating that goes around nanoparticles. And the coatings around the nanoparticles make it so you can disperse it into different kinds of ink solvents like water or isopropyl alcohol and like, you know, all the other kind of solvents that are out there. So think like, you know, to an extent you can mix sugar into water, right? But after a while, it just doesn't dissolve anymore if you keep on adding more and more. And that's because you've kind of reached the the maximum solubility limit, right? So by changing the coatings on it, you can make certain nanoparticles actually dissolve or disperse even more into the material. So typically, these ligands are used to just suspend things. But what we did was we also added additional functionality where it is actually photosensitive. And that makes it so we can convert any nanoparticle into what is called a photopatentable ink. And what does this photopatentable, patentable, am I saying this right? Patternable. Patternable, yeah, photopatternable, yeah, okay, <laughs> ink. What does it do apart right. from uh, being awesome? What yeah. else does it do? So photopatterning and um, you know the concept behind it's called photolithography is uh, one of the, the, the most important patterning mechanisms that exist out there uh, that has really enabled the the world of processors and you know displays to actually come into play what happens is in a typical photolithography you coat a film that is photosensitive right so it can react to light and then you put like a, a shadow over it right like let's say your your hand over it or you know something a little bit more sophisticated like you know squares or you know transistor designs and then through that shadow mask, you then light, a sh- like, you know, uh, emit some sort of background light, right? Shine some light through it so that the light only touches certain areas of the film. And then you remove it and then you wash everything away and you're left with whatever that shadow was that you defined through with the light. That's what photolithography is. And, you know, lithography, it's actually, it's been used for centuries and centuries now, right? I mean, the Japanese... Um, you know, you know, uh, art form was actually created using lithography, right? So you had pieces and then you stamped and then you kind of kept on doing that multiple times to create images, same concept, right? But instead of using stamps, now we're using light. So now we can go to really, really, really small resolutions with this approach. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the final product that you guys would commercialize and sell would be the ink. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it would be a photo patternable ink, uh, which we sell to the display makers. And the display makers would then coat and then use their conventional photolithography techniques to pattern the pixels of the TVs. You can do this at home, um, but you can go and look really, really, really close to a display. Uh, you see me do this multiple times now. We have, we have, we can confirm. <laughs> And what you can see, if you look really hard, are red and green and blue dots, 
And each of those dots, actually, when you when you expand it out to a bunch of you know pixels, that's how you make an image. And those red, green, and blue dots right now are using color filters, which means that only 33% of the light is shining through. All of the rest just gets absorbed or blocked out. By moving towards quantum dots, what's interesting is now you can use just one, let's say, blue light, right, to shine through. The blue light just goes through without any pixels because it's already blue. And then the green and the red uh, can be quantum dots. So now the green quantum dots absorb the blue light, convert fully to green color, and then the red becomes fully to red color. So now you have a system that doesn't block anything, but at the same time can emit at 100% brightness. That's a bit of magic. Right? Mm -hmm. wow. Quantum dots are magical. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd imagine then that all the display manufacturers would be interested in this, or right. they should be if yeah. they haven't yet yeah. shown interest. So from, from that standpoint, right, so because display makers are interested, like you said uh, earlier, there are a lot of competitors out there. And the typical way is to actually just throw a bunch of quantum dots inside of a, you know, a current existing photoresist, which is, you know, what's conventionally used to pattern things. You can pattern it this way, but the loading of quantum dots inside of that film is really, really low you can only get to about 40%. What we can do is we can get to 99%, which means, and this is not a linear improvement either. So that means that uh, for the same amount of thickness, we can absorb way more of the blue light, which means that we need significantly less film to convert everything. And at the same time, because we need a thinner film, uh, this actually results in a improvement in resolution. So currently, you know, the competitors who are interested in going into TVs can maybe do it for TVs using photolithography or inkjet, but no one can right now do it for very high definition cell phone screens or AR, VR, micro LED displays. So that's actually where we are going to be going in in the very beginning because no one else can reach the resolutions that we can. Right. So that's that's going to be your, your core market, at least to start with. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And so how early stage is is this project or your company, I should say? The company right now is about, it's about nine months old at okay. this point. So we are a very <laughs> young company uh, based in the United States of America in Chicago, Illinois. Shout out to you, Chicago. <laughs> And we are in a very unique situation. From the very beginning, we, we competed and won a Department of Energy grant through what's called the Chain Reaction Innovations Program, another shout out. And uh, through that, we um, actually receive a half million dollar grant, but also we, we are able to access Argonne National Laboratory for the next two years. So we have characterization, you know, fabrication capabilities, as well as synthesis space. So in the next two years, uh, in addition to to, you know, raising additional capital through more grants and through equity. We want to get to a point where we can create a full-fledged prototype display with partnerships in the micro-LED display community and also see if we can bring it to a point where we can produce a minimum viable product or MVP, which is about a 100 milliliter ink, which we can, you know, start to test out with the display manufacturers to see if they're interested. And at that point, we'll grow the company uh, and start, you know, uh, taking in orders and convert towards more of a purchase order structure in the future. All right. So right now you're producing the inks, but you would hope that in two years from now you'd have prototype, a display prototype. Is that right? Um, that's for to demonstrate just the, to show the capabilities. How the ink works. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's so kind of if you work with us, this is the kind of screen you can have. Okay. Uh, we are a formulation company. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, you know, not in the business of making displays because that okay. is a wonderfully complex. Yeah, I was going to ask. So you're going to yeah. go into that. Exactly. And then one one other thing is we are a formulation company, so we're not 
not making our own quantum dots. That makes us very versatile. We're a very quick company because of it. Uh, but we can take in different chemistries of quantum dots and ligands and solvents from established manufacturers, mix it in-house, and then sell that ink to the display makers. Okay, I understand. So you would be working also with other companies that make quantum dots. That's correct, yeah. They and if you're a quantum suppliers. dot maker... You know, come find us. <laughs> we, <laughs> we love to work one. with you guys. So. We know one specifically. <laughs> Actually, well, that, that has been one of the most you know productive components of um, AdmaCon 2019 for us. Another shout out, <laughs> um, because you know we we have been able to make some very potentially productive relationships with you know with quantum dot makers as well as potential display makers and other more established suppliers for other commodity chemicals. So um, yeah, shout out to you guys. This has been an amazing. <laughs> experience. That's, that's really good because that's the main thing we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Should we rewind a little bit? Maybe talk about how you got to this point? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would love to. So um, where to start? I was where born in start? Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <the beginning. laughs> and grew up as a California boy. Woohoo, Cali. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, um, a lot of things have happened since. Um, You know, I graduated from an undergrad with material science background, went to Silicon Valley to work for um, a formulation company. Um, And through that experience and, you know, working with other companies, I became kind of fascinated in the the entrepreneurial community in particular. Because in the U.S., you know, you start to see a lot of the, the fundamental research laboratories of kind of of larger corporations are, you know, kind of being defunded or kind of shrinking. And that means that a lot of companies are moving towards more of what's called an M&A strategy, so merger and acquisition strategy, which means the academic innovation community is going to be a very, very critical component of U.S. and kind of global innovation in the future. So what I want to know was how established is this community at this point in time? And, you know, I've, I learned since that it is growing and it's quickly evolving into a very well-oiled machine. And I wanted to experience uh, and I want to understand how this kind of um, kind of process works from beginning to end. Are you a scientist then? Are you a scientist by tr- trade? Yeah. By education? Yeah. That's <laughs> correct. Yeah. So after, um, after the Silicon Valley, um, you know, component, I moved to University of Chicago where I decided Decided to you know pursue my PhD in molecular engineering. So and at the PhD, I decided to uh, start a, a fellowship uh, where we uh, trained PhDs and postdocs how to do kind of pre-disclosure diligence on market and to help with kind of the acceleration of patents because about 40 or 50 percent of patents are accidentally disclosed as in they never become patents because whoops people just accidentally presented on it before they you know submitted an application for a patent so we were able to significantly reduce that uh, that accidental disclosure and during that process one of the technologies I came into contact with was Dimitris uh, who, who is my co-founder professor of chemistry uh, Dimitri Talpin uh, who is one of the experts in the quantum dot and quantum dot display industries and he had recently published a science article uh, in 2017 that goes into this ligand chemistry and this ability to pattern without needing photoresist and my background is again more nanofabrication formulation engineering I'm like wow that's uh that that could be big 
that could be very, very big. So I took about half a year to, you know, do my diligence uh, to understand and talk to as many people as possible uh, to understand if there is actually a need for this. And then we were able to hone in on a very specific market and we're like, okay, let's start this process. We incorporated as of January 1st, uh, January 2nd, 2019. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> very cool. So, so is it just the two of you for now or is your team a bit bigger than that? The team is a little bit bigger. Okay. Um, so we also have our wonderful senior scientist, Forrest Etheridge, and also Dr. Yuan Wang, who is uh, one of the inventors of the technology. So we're a, a core team of four. We have wonderful advisors through the Chain Reaction Innovations. Uh, we have, you know, individuals from the venture capital as well as, um, you know, uh, other entrepreneurs on the board who are experts in exiting companies in the the material science field. So we we have fantastic support. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I want to know was, you know, how can we get involved in the European scene as well? Being one of my main motivations for coming to Amicon was understanding how the the industry function over here. And I've I've been pleasantly surprised to see that there is a, uh, a very vibrant community here. And it's just been a very eye-opening experience. So overall, I think um, at this point, my impression is I'll be back every single year to communicate with both Berlin as well as the the, the greater Germany. We hope so. We'll mm -hmm. make you sign something at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's on a podcast now, so that, that's as good of a, a contract as any. Right? <laughs> so we're, we're very happy to hear you you got something from the program. I know the other startups were mostly, no, they're all European. They're actually. all European. That's right. Yeah. Um, Except you. Yeah. Except you. Actually, you're the first American team we've ever had in cool. the history of Admicon. Cool, 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 cool. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so. I know they also learned a lot from you. One of the things that is, I mean, there are many differences, I'm sure, between um, Europe and the U.S. when it comes to material science startups. One of the things that we were talking about with some of the other guys is that in Europe, at least, there's a reluctance sometimes to move from being a scientist to being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a fear of failure, which we all have, but then maybe there are more specific concerns, like, is it very risky? Um, how are you going to get this deep tech startup mm -hmm. actually uh, profitable and when? Yeah. All these common concerns. Do you think that's different at all in the US? Do you, did you feel it was easier to, to make that jump? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And the quick answer is really there's not a lot of difference. I think the difference might be in just a little bit longer of a history of infrastructure being around uh, to help out with some of those companies, right? So even for us, in the very beginning, we were kind of not really going anywhere because, you know, um, the community in Chicago is fantastic, but it's a little bit more biomedical oriented. So as a physical science company, it was very difficult to initially find traction, uh, but we were able to find it through the Chain Reaction Innovations Program. So that was great. And I think when it comes down to overall broad philosophy of PhDs, I think, you know, the, the stigma is finally kind of disappearing where you need to become a professor, right? And, you know, you need to, you need to go on this specific career track to go to the next stage. Matter of fact, PhDs um, and, you know, other graduates are actually really good entrepreneurs um, because they, they typically know <laughs> failure in many ways, um, but are willing to learn from it. And they're willing to kind of put in the work beyond the typical nine to five kind of work hour to, to really bring it to the next stage. And there's kind of an inherent curiosity there, right, uh, in the technology. It's it's not just the 95 component that's very important. It's, you know, the, the Saturday morning when you just wake up and you're like, oh, I 
I haven't tried that. And then you get really excited, you just go there and just like test it out. And you know, those end up being the, you know, the the peripherals or potential pivot options for your technology, growth opportunities for your technology. And um, that's been one of the most um, kind of rewarding components of being an entrepreneur so far. Um, after the research scene, you almost do a similar thing in the very beginning, but then you also have this component of hanging out. Like I get to talk to people now, you know, on, as a, as <laughs> the a social aspect. Of yeah, it. the social yeah. aspect is fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because that makes sense. A lot of the qualities you need to to be a researcher are qualities you need to be an entrepreneur. That's correct. Yeah, including the, patience. Yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> the ability yeah. to do your your research, maybe when it comes to a market as opposed to science. Exactly. That exactly. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Are there any um, skills, though, that you think, I'm not sure how to politically correctly <laughs> correctly phrase this, but are there any skills you think scientists may lack um, to become successful entrepreneurs? And if that's the case, what would you do about it? What are you hinting at? <laughs> well, I'm just wondering. <laughs> like, are there new people that you need to bring on board so that mm-hmm. you have those skills in your team or maybe not? Yes. I am hinting at something. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you are. You are. What yes, you are. Um, I think the, the biggest message I have for first-time you know, entrepreneurs, uh, especially in the physical sciences, be ready to talk to a bunch of people all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a huge social aspect to this, which you know a lot of people end up having a little bit more of a uh, "if we build it, they will come" mentality, which just doesn't work anymore in today's society. You know, everyone thinks their their baby is beautiful, but at the same time, you need to go and actually you know show your baby to everybody and see like are they actually beautiful or not. The other component is actually not a, a lack of skill, but a skill that you need to. Uh, circumvent a little bit, and that's ego. Mm. You know, the the huge thing is we tend to have an ego. Uh, PhDs tend to have an ego, and one thing that is a big issue is you're like, oh, business, that's easy. easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, market research, it's just statistics, right? It never turns out that way. Um, it is a skill set, a very good skill set to have, and it's one that we do not get taught mm-hmm. at all. So one thing that we need to learn uh, how to do is either learn how to become a business expert, right? business models, business case, uh, which by the way, an MBA is two years long. It takes at least two years to learn it very correctly, not to mention the industry experience you need to get into, uh, into an MBA. And that means you either need to learn really quickly or you can hire somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. both, both options do work in the end. Yeah, I think those are very good points, especially the ego bit. Mm-hmm. So one thing that uh, I, I do want to say, I really appreciate you guys for m- many reasons. Um, I've been able to hang out with you guys for you know two weeks during Amicon, has been awesome. But on top of that, you know, you guys are doing something that's very important right now in today's society, and that's science communication. So my background, you know, at at the PhD, uh, we had a component where we had to teach to middle schoolers. Um, at, at the museums, uh, Museum of Science and, and Industry in Hyde Park. And, you know, they taught us some science communication skills and, you know, um, kind of the, the improvisation and the really the IQ needed to be really good interviewers and to actually communicate the science through. So you guys are, you know, really a big component of the science community. And in a sense, you make it approachable for everybody. And that's a very important thing to have. Well, we're a bit like a middle schoolers in this <laughs> scenario where we invite you guys to come and explain the science part to us. Very, very important, though. <laughs> very, very important. <laughs> and hopefully then more and more people get to listen to it. Exactly. <sighs> Wonderful. So um, as a final remark, perhaps, 
what would be your one big wish for your company at the moment? If there was one thing a magic wand could make come true for you, <laughs> what would that thing be? Well, that's a that's a very very good question. Um, hopefully, some of our grants get accepted. That that would be fantastic. And in the end, it's um, we we hope some of our customer relationships become uh, become fruitful. And that's because you know it, until a customer and we have had some customers show, but of course, the best way to commit is through your you know your 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 wallet, right? So um, you know, uh, there's nothing more validating than when a customer says, "Oh yeah." We want that. We really need that right now. Um, and I think, you know, we can raise money, we can get grants, uh, but until that really happens in a form of some sort of exchange of goods, that's really kind of the the key point when you're like, oh, our product actually made an impact. That's the ultimate validation. Exactly. And I, I want that ultimate validation. <laughs> oh, that's a good wish. Yeah. And we want that for you. And Thank hopefully, you very much. if we can help you with anything, we'll um, come hang out with me whenever I'm in Berlin. Yeah, that we will good. definitely do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank Aww. you. We'll Thank end you on so this much. warm note. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And we'll see you soon in Berlin. All right. Hey, it's Christina again. If you want to get in touch with you, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can also find Nanopattern Technologies on LinkedIn. You can also visit them at nanopatterntechnologies.com. We'll leave all their information in the description. And I also wanted to let you know that Startup the Science now has a LinkedIn page and an Instagram, so don't forget to follow us. Now, cue outro. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enam.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time. 